everyone to the latest edition of the Accessibility Corner. Today is October the 5th, 2017. And in the office, in the, in the studio, we have Ms. Uh, Veronica Escobar, uh, candidate for Congressional Office, our district number 16. Josue Rodriguez, Mark Salazar. I'll introduce uh, more in depth later, of course. Abel Rodriguez, Leonard, and of course my wife, uh, Lourdes Hernandez. And everyone, thank you for joining in. We've been having some great uh, feedback. Uh, so this uh, conversation will be focused mostly on Medicaid and Medicare and also what Ms. Escobar has done as county judge. She has done a lot. She really has. And I want to also, uh, I want to put you on the spot, Ms. Escobar. I didn't want to tell you this, but tell you thank you, ma'am, for you've done two or three things with us um, when I've asked you for help. And people thank don't know you, that. George. You know, the background stuff that you've done. Uh, especially one of them, uh, my listeners, is uh, Ms. Escobar actually set up some kind of sensitivity training with UMC, so I do want to appreciate you doing that, Ms. Escobar. Um, the, the Accessibility Corner is brought to you by the Law Office of Stephanie Townsend Ayala. And of course, like I said, Mr. Josue Rodriguez, he's a, one of the lead contacts for Desert Adapt. It's a grassroots organization that fights for disability rights here in Russell. You probably saw him on the news uh, last week. He was on national news, surrounded by officers. He was in the Capitol, and he's, he's a true... Um, true advocate. Matter of fact, he was a gentleman that was on uh, the front of the GOP for those two weeks. Uh, Mr. Mark Salasad. This gentleman, he's on many board, uh, board directors. He's also on the city's um, Fair Housing Task Force. And hopefully, hopefully, on the Accessibility Advisory Committee. Uh, hopefully. Um, so go ahead and introduce yourself more in depth if you want, Mr. Gentleman. Uh, Ms. Escobar, of course. Well, thank you, George, so much for having me on your show. Thank you for all the great advocacy you do. Same thing for Josue and for Mark. You know, the the there is so much work that needs to be done, and it would not happen without the advocacy that you all do. And it takes a lot, I know, and it wears you out, I'm sure. I can't imagine what you had to go through when you went to protest at the Capitol. Um, I know that it takes a lot of time and energy to make the public aware. You know, I first really became aware of um, the issues that, that the um, disability community was facing during uh, training early, early on in my political career when um, I, uh, Volad actually put me in a wheelchair and had me use that wheelchair in order to move around and in order to um, get in a vehicle, get off a vehicle, go to a park. They took me to Ascara at the park oh, wow. and it was hugely eye-opening. I... Um, that really was a turning point for me. And I remember after that meeting with our human resources director and talking to her about that experience and encouraging um, a lot of our folks to do the same thing. And right after that, we hired an ADA coordinator, an access, uh, a disability uh, coordinator, so that she could go building by building, floor by floor, room by room, to evaluate everything that we needed to do in order to be a more accessible organization. And um, th and we started investing in changes to the infrastructure. The county's not done by any means, and we are not perfect, and we still have a long way to go. But it is advocates like you all that open up the eyes of others, and so I want to thank you for that. And we actually met um, Amanda... What was her last name, Mr. Martin? Amanda Prophet. And we yes, actually yeah. met her, and she's very good. And I appreciate that, Ms. Escobar, because when you're in that situation with a disability, people don't realize 
the, the barriers that we have that we encounter uh, especially more those from my friends and my brothers and sisters that are in the mobility device like Mr. Josue but this, but this, that's not the point it's important that it, this gentleman has gone beyond that you've seen it on Facebook and I want to introduce you Mr. Josue My name is Josue Rodriguez, and I'm with uh, El Paso Desert Adapt. And um, uh, yeah, we have our local chapter here, which is part of National Adapt, and we advocate for the rights of people with disabilities, um, whether it be accessibility, whether it be inclusion to society. I'm breaking down those barriers. Uh, one of the things that we focused on recently um, is having to fight and save for uh, Medicaid, which is one of the funding sources that um, helps a lot of people with disabilities to be able to live integrated in the community with the services and supports that we need. And we're gonna talk more about the, the Medicaid with Ms. Cecil Bar, right, ma'am? About yes. your staff, because you are running for Congress. Uh, right. So you're gonna be the next Congresswoman? Well, I hope, I'm working so, uh, to try to make that happen. And uh, I've seen you have a lot of support in the, within the community and I do, I think you, you, you'll be okay with that. With I support. hope so. You really will. Um, Mr. Mark Salazar? Yes, hi. Uh, thank you for having us, Georgia. And it's a pleasure to be here with everybody. The I, I'm representing uh, uh, just advocates for people with disabilities. Uh, of course, I have been uh, uh, in in assistance or in, in, co in coordination with my sister Dolores who has cerebral palsy you know, we've been active in the uh, community of people with disabilities for well actively in actual organizations since about the, the 1980s and but before that you know it's a, it's a lifetime thing uh, mm -hmm. since my since my sister was born and went to an institution at uh, Moody at a very young age and uh, that wasn't uh, working out for us and when we we brought her back and uh, you know we're able to get her into into uh, finally into a regular school which they they didn't even have a, a program for her but uh, eventually they did and and she's been with us the uh, and you know having a peop a person that, uh, with a severe disability you have to go through a lot of things. You have to learn through a lot of things. And one of the things was that you have to advocate for those uh, basic uh, rights and privileges that a lot of people uh, take for granted. Yes, and uh, education was one of them for my sister. And you know she was able to uh, continue her school and go all the way through, uh, uh, get her uh, bachelor's in social work at UTEP. Really? Cool. And right. it, it was very... Uh, difficult but along the process uh, working with uh, as a volunteer and uh, myself I became a special ed teacher so I'm a retired teacher also I've been I worked for 31 years at Irvin High School I went through the different uh, levels I started as a special education teacher but I went uh, <coughs> we were uh, needing to serve more uh, people in, in the mainstream classes and, and ended up going into uh, mainstream program which was a marketing education and uh, I was able to continue mainstreaming some kids into those programs and uh, so I you know that's professionally I was a teacher but with my sister I've been an advocate and been working with her and learning with her we belong to the uh, Grupo Dignidad y Igualdad Oportunidad which is uh, called DIO for short 
and that's a Hispanic organization and we speak English too but we're trying to reach we the mission was to reach the uh, people of Hispanic descent who were missing out on a lot of the services and programs in the community because they were afraid or unable to understand the 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 literature and the programs that were offering and being offered and uh, through this pro uh, group we've been able to reach a lot of people and you actually founded the group right you founded uh, the group. I was I didn't I wasn't the founder I came in the year after they were okay. founded yeah and by talking about UTEP Miss uh, Escobar was my math teacher <laughs> many moons ago many moons. She gave well, me English, a, English 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 yeah many she, moons she gave ago. me a B <laughs> <laughs> But you know what? Um, the reason why we're here is so we want to really talking about the something that really touches everyone in this room, uh, Medicaid or medical coverage for those with disabilities and the and elderly. And um, since you're running for Congress, Miss Miss Etzebar, I want you to go ahead and let our listeners know you know where you stand on that because I know it's important to you. Uh, as a matter of fact, you went and supported uh, Mr. Josue and Desert App um, and Mark too. Mark did too. So did I. Um, I just want to give you a pause, Mr. Josue. It's you know two weeks, gentlemen. That man, that's 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 a long time. That was. A and long I know you're not sick, and I appreciate what you do. You put, actually literally put your life on the line for us, and I appreciate that. Um, but anyways, back to you, Miss Escobar. Um, what, what's your stance right now on Medicaid as you go into Congress? Well, and thank you, George. And you're right about Josue. I, I I don't know how you all did it for those two weeks to raise that awareness on the cuts and to fight against the cuts. And it feels like, at least from, from an outsider watching, every time you have a victory, then there's a new battle on a new front, and the, the war just doesn't end. And the reason that the war doesn't end is because who is the people who are in power right now? They are determined to make cuts. And the really tragic part of all of this is, as we have seen the proposed cuts come forward, we know that the cuts are being made not because there's a necessity to make the cuts, but it's to give tax breaks to the wealthiest Americans, who are the people who put these folks in power. And, and we, in communities like ours and in states like ours, our communities have so much power and we refuse to use it when we don't vote. Just before we came on the air, um, George and I were talking about the turnout at the last presidential election and it was a record for El Paso, but it was still only 10%. That means 90% of our registered voters, not even of eligible voters, just of people who took the time to register and who said, I'm interested in voting, 90% of them stayed home. And if we have learned anything, anything over the last election, it's that if we stay home, we lose. And so I am very much against the cuts that are being made to and being proposed to Medicaid and Medicare. I'm very much against um, some of the efforts to limit the benefits to people in the disabled community in particular. And, and I'll tell you uh, a quick story. When my dad, my dad died uh, a little over 20 years ago, and he suffered from multiple strokes and he became incapacitated. And so for about two years, my mom and I were his caregiver. And I, I had two part-time jobs. I had to quit one of those jobs in order to help my mom because we could not afford 
the home health care service and because there just wasn't enough available in terms of actual federal assistance to really give my dad quality care and the amount of care he needed and for the amount of time that he needed. And that was just two years of our life. You know, Mark, you were just mentioning your daughter, your uh, sister's struggle. And it's not just the struggle of the individual who is afflicted with a disability. It is the struggle of the entire family because especially in Hispanic families, you know, we take care of each other and we will be there for one another. And we're very fortunate to have that. You know, there are many people who are alone and who don't have people to depend on or count on. But even in the best of circumstances where there's a, fa a loving family, there are still not enough resources. And so instead of pouring money into corporate tax breaks and tax breaks for the wealthy, th these are our tax dollars that need to be reinvested in our people. Okay. So I'm, I'm with you on, on your perspectives and your values about funding the care needed for the very families that are, that, that are um, in need of these services. And I, Josue, I cannot thank you enough for everything that you do to raise the awareness, and and I mean all of you here, it's uh, you you it must be incredibly exhausting, but you have to keep going until we begin to win these elections. Now, why would you, just from your perspective, why do you think Washington is so heartfelt in changing the funding source for Medicaid? And I mean, what what do you think the rationale is there? I mean. You know, I think that when you look at where they want to redirect the funds, you will never hear these guys say, let's cut this and lower the budget. They're saying, let's cut this and let's redirect the money. And so it's a matter of priorities, right? And people get elected to Congress um, based on their voters, and that's important. But uh, where, where, where I think people lose their way is when it comes to the money because you need money to run a campaign. And many of these guys, uh, many of these people end up beholden to groups that, that want to redirect the money. And I think the best way to make sure that that doesn't happen is through the work that you all are doing, where you are constantly on your elected officials and holding them accountable, but also making sure, which is what you all have done with Congressman O'Rourke, make sure that it's not just someone who's not gonna hurt you, but someone who's gonna work for you. Yes, and someone who is going to be your advocate there. And so the, you know, it starts with the races that you have at home, you, it also builds out, you know, we have a great candidate for U.S. Senate in Beto O'Rourke. And so it's about getting out the vote for him as well there to begin to change the Senate. And then in 2020, trying to win back the White House. We, we need a leader who has compassion in the White House. What we have right now is the exact opposite. And it was with, with the, the current administration, I sometimes just wait every morning, wake up to see what's, what's tweeted, and I'm like, that shouldn't be. You know, you shouldn't have to see what, what kind of uh, comment he's going to make or not make. Or, or, or uh, afraid of what he's going to do next. Yeah, or what chaos he's going to create. Or what group he's going to target. Because he has targeted, in my view, the disability community, not just with the cuts that he wants to make to health care, not just with the changes in the tax code, but in the disrespect he showed on the campaign trail in mocking someone with a disability. Someone at the highest level of our government, someone who is supposed to be a world leader, 
who doesn't have the most fundamental compassion. And that we have to change in 2020 when we go to the polls. And it's no longer just about us going to the polls and voting our conscience. It's about us getting others, registering people to vote and pulling them uh, you know, uh, to the, the polling booth and saying, you have to be there. Early voting starts today. Early voting runs until next week. Here's where, where you can go. Do you need a ride? Do you need help? Should we, what, what can we do to get you there? It, I now feel like we are at such a point of, of crisis in our country that each one of us should make a commitment. You know, I'm going to get 30 people out to vote. And, and then we have to get people in our circle. I want you, Mark. I want you to get 10 people out to vote. And Josue, I want you to get 10 people out to vote. And George, I want you to get 10 people out to vote. And, and build momentum for the issues that are important to us. Because again, if we don't, we lose. I have a mantra I use, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, no, participa no participation, no progress. Yeah. And that's when you have to invoke, you know, your right, your, that God-given right, we have to, the, the right to vote, um, your responsibility as, as an American to vote especially for a candidate that you feel is going to progress your views. And with that being said, before I forget, Ms. Escobar, if someone wants to volunteer for your campaign, how can they do that? So they can register on our website, uh, veronicaescobar.com, or they can send us an email at voteforveronica at gmail.com. And it's V-O-T-E-F-O-R-V-E-R-O-N-I-C-A at gmail. You also have a headquarters, right? I have a headquarters, 806 Montana. And um, anyone can kind of pop in, but to be sure that we're there, email us um, and, and uh, make sure that we're there. Okay. We're going to go ahead and put this, that information on the website. Uh, oh, wonderful. So, Thank so you. So people want to just go to uh, www.dialogueep.com, and that information will be on the website. Do you have any questions, Josue? Thank you. Uh, I do have a couple, couple of questions for you. Um, Beto O'Rourke, Congressman O'Rourke, has been... Um, uh, champion with us in uh, co-sponsoring the Disability Integration Act. Um, if you are elected, will you continue to support this piece of legislation? I haven't read it, um, but if it's about integrating the disabled community in the schools, in the workplace, in training, etc., I'm a firm believer in that. It's about uh, providing more um, opportunities for people with disabilities to be able to choose where they live, where they f their funding goes um, to be integrated in the community. That's Absolutely, and let me tell you, like the, I think the United States, and, and not just the United States, but other countries, in our history, we believed in segregation. We used to segregate races. We used to segregate classes. We used to segregate people with disabilities. Um, we used to segregate genders. There, there has to be a full integration of people because number one that's how it should be but number two we should want everyone to be able to live a full life and we should we should be willing to put the resources necessary to help people achieve that goal so I I'm very supportive absolutely uh, at what can I of course, yeah, of course, of course. I was going to say that, you know, through uh, Volar Center for Independent Living, you know, we, we call it independent living, the independent living movement. And uh, we call that the, the, the ability to make the choices about how and where and, and uh, everything that uh, pertain to how you want to live. Just the ability to make choices. It doesn't mean, you know, moving out of the house sometimes for, 
maybe a person that you know needs a little help from their family and, and we're not trying to say you know to people just get get out on your own when if you can't handle it you know there are different levels of independent living for instance me with my sister you know she's able to live she she you know the doctor said she was going to be in an institution for the rest of her life the doctor said she was never going to accomplish anything in fact that she was you know probably going to pass away at an early age and uh, thank god you know none of that has happened and she's living in the community uh, with with the assistance of her family and uh, with the support of the program that she has through uh, the Medicaid waiver program, which is a class program. The class program has, has uh, she got into that in, in 1995, and that was able to help her with attendance to come to her home and, and assist in, you know, with, with her daily living uh, tasks that, sh that she's unable to do. She, she can't use her arms or legs. Uh, uh, so uh, just about everything in bathing, uh, you know, washing, I, eating. I have a story on that know? too, Mr. Mark. Uh -huh. um, my mom, uh, Miss Escobar, she fell last year, and um, this is why for me it's kind of personal too. Now, um, she fell last week. Now she can't walk, and she has to use attendant services in the walker. Well, she went to a nursing home, or rehab center actually. Um, she's back in October of last year, and little by little, I started noticing her change of character. So I'm like, something's going on with my mom. So we went and we had a meeting with the, the main director. And we're like, what's going on with my mom? She's her, her attitude, her um, character has changed. She went from two medicines to 16 medicines. Oh. So when Mr. Mark uh, Salazar Josue is saying those consequential effects, when you put someone that doesn't want to be in a nursing home, in a nursing home, and then you add all those other components of, of lack of services, one attendant for the whole facility, over medication so that's why the, having that choice is very important to live within the community and hopefully and I know you will Miss Escobar by saying that you're, you're going to sponsor or at least um, listen to Mr. Uh, Josue and Desert App regarding the DIA the Disability Integration Act because that's so important for yeah. people with disabilities absolutely you know it's so important when you are governing to listen to the communities that you impact um, and, and that's why I started with the story about Volar and the lessons that I learned through Volar mm -hmm. because you really have to walk in someone else's shoes or in this case be in someone's wheelchair to understand what the what what life could be like even if just for an afternoon or a couple of hours and you have to consult with people who you know who who are advocates and who are experts and who know what they're talking about as you put try to push legislation and and I I completely agree you know the the back to the story about my dad thank God we were able to keep him in our home and I will tell you as hard as it was as, as difficult as those two years were especially on my mother more so on my mother than on me they were a gift because we had my dad in the home we were able to see him we were able to spend time with him and the the I cannot imagine the mental health issues that come for some people being in an institution and so you know the the fact that your mom went from two medications so to 16 you know and I would not be surprised if at least one of them might be for depression you well, know? Yeah, well, it kind of scared me and she started telling me that she's, she was telling me and my wife until she was seen because they had given her a window uh, a balloon you know forget well balloon and she said that she kept seeing that balloon go out the window and come in the window and we can't open the window so I'm like 
something's going on. <laughs> so um, that's what we asked for a meeting, and and Josue could probably tell you more horror, horror stories about that. But the thing is, we allow the, the the person, the person to have that choice. You know what? I want to stay home. Right. I don't want to be in the facility where I don't know no one. Right. I might get sick. I might get. I might even die. Right. And for example, I've heard a story now of actually Mr. Josue and Mark could probably uh, chime in on this that where people actually die in their yeah. homes from lack of services. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, Josue. Yes. Exactly. I, you said you had another question, Josue. You had. Uh, yeah, I actually do. Um, bring bring one, the mic a little closer to you. Sorry. Grab it. Yeah. There you go. Can I just take it off? Yeah, if you want. Go ahead. Thank you. The karaoke, okay? So. <laughs> well, one of, one of the things that um, we're t- we've been talking about is how uh, services need to be delivered in the community. Well, one of the barriers that we have is um, our attendant workforce, our community attendant workforce. Um, I know that uh, during this legislature, um, we worked a lot in recruit, recruitment and retention of community attendants. One of the things that um, we that we proposed and helped pass, or, or didn't pass actually, but w- that we had proposed the legislation was an increase to $13 an hour for community attendance. Um, because of the lack of um, benefits and the lack of stable um, hours of work, a lot of community attendants would rather go work to uh, a restaurant where they get benefits, they might get lower wages, but at least they get benefits and they, it's a steady job. So would you, um, my question to you would be, would you support something like this to continue to support uh, better wages and c- living for community attendance? Yes, I would. I, I haven't read any piece of legislation um, on that, so I, you know, I wanna be sure to let you know I haven't read it, but from what you've described, I would. Um, at the county, w- raising wages has been a priority for us at the commissioner's court. When I first came on board as county judge, our employees were among the lowest paid in the region. And we've been able to provide uh, about 25% of an increase over the last six years. And we raised the minimum wage internally to $11 an hour because anything less than that is not a living wage. We also had looked strategically at um, where we needed to be more competitive if we were losing employees or if we weren't able to retain employees. That to me is a like a business approach. It's a, it's a common sense business approach. If you are not able to retain a, a part of your workforce because of wages or because of lack of benefits, th- then y- you end up spending more money every time you hire someone and then they quit and then you have to rehire and then they quit and then you have to rehire and they quit. It's always better to retain people and if you need to increase wages, you need to increase training, whatever those needs are, you need to address them. We have a record of doing that at the county and if that's what needs to be done at the federal level, I'd do the same thing. Well, we might be coming up to a break shortly, um, Ms. Escobar, um, if we hear the music. Now, can you stay a little bit? I'll stay a little bit, yes. Um, And the reason why the character is so important now that I understand, now you you two with your dad, is that without having that attendance service, people with disabilities can't be integrated into society. They can't literally get out of bed. My wife, she's right. a personal care attendant, you know, to get dressed, to wash, to eat. Um, the thing that when Mr. Uh, what Dead or Adapt was trying to do, I see as as a, as a win-win situation. Number one, the, the consumer wins, and also the attendant wins. Where right. they get more money, and then that attendant is more more willing to stay 
in that work environment, saying, you know what, I'm going to stay with you. And like you, like you were saying, Josue, from helping someone clean up to flipping burgers, they're going to go flip burgers. But if you could pay them 13 bucks an hour, they're going to want to stay. Plus, if you have a benefit. So we're at the next, we're at the first break. We're going to come back, and you're listening to the Accessibility Corner here on Dialogue Radio Network. I'm Stephanie Townsend Iala. At the law firm of Stephanie Townsend Iala and Associates, our attorneys, including Jennifer Coulter and my own daughter, Jessica Clute, fight for the nursing home and home health care rights of the elderly and disabled. I'm attorney Jessica Clute. The law firm of Stephanie Townsend Iala also specializes in estate planning, probate, trusts, wills, powers of attorney, nursing home advocacy, Medicaid asset protection, and guardianships. Call us at 533-0007. back here to the Accessibility Corner here on Dialogue Radio Network, brought to you by the law office of Stephanie Townsend Ayala. And I like that music. Uh, Abel, I like that music. So, we're talking about the personal care attendance and the, the advantages of paying them more, but Ms. Escobar, you brought up a good point, and uh, go ahead and let the listeners listen on. So, mm-hmm. when, you know, research has demonstrated that when you provide tax cuts to the wealthiest Americans, that money does not necessarily get reinvested into the economy. Most times, it ends up padding a savings account, an already very, um, you know, wealthy savings account. When you provide raises to the middle class or to the working class, these are the families that reinvest in the local economy. They're able to go to a movie. They're able to eat out at a restaurant. They are able to buy clothes. They generally spend that money. They may save some of it, but most of the time they will spend it. And so it has a multiplier effect in the local economy. And that's part of why one of the values for us at the county was raising those wages because we knew we would get a return on our investment but we also knew we'd retain good people. We wouldn't have to ha- deal with vacancies. It was, in some respects, self-serving because we wanted the organization to benefit from good people who stay there for a long time. But it was also, we knew the right thing to do. And, and unfortunately, the federal government has, you know, there's not been an, even an increase in the minimum wage for many, many years. And additionally, we still have... Um, issues like Josue, what you described about the attendance, where um, we need to start pushing in the right direction because it benefits them and us. Yes, sir. Now, just out of curiosity, and it's kind of off the topic, but how many how many employees are there for the county? Uh, there's about 2,000 employees for the county, and there's another 2,200 for the hospital district. And at the hospital district, we, we raise the minimum wage there to 1050. Oh, wow. We're hoping to get that yeah. also to 11. But um, they have faced drastic cuts um, in healthcare reimbursement. And so they've been, it's been a lot harder for them to achieve the same salary gains that, that we have at the county because every time they turn around, the feds or the state 
are cutting reimbursement and cutting their ability to deliver services. And so they keep having to dig into their savings account to help the same number of people. Yep, the same, the same, the, the, that pool of money keeps going shorter, exactly. smaller and smaller, but more, more people want to tap into that. Right. And that's where the problem is. And hopefully by you being in Congress, uh, you're, I'm, I'm, I'm not jinxing you, you're in Congress, all right? So, I'm, I'm just, <laughs> uh, so when, once you get into it, you know, and that's good that you have this experience. Well, not good, but in the, in the sense where you understand when Josue and, and Mark and me tell you stories, you, you understand like what happened to your dad. Right. That the, that attendant services are very important. Um, and that's, you have another question, Josue? Yes, I actually do. Um, one, well, I just have two comments actually. One of them is um, referencing back to what we did with Medicaid and our continued fight with uh, for Medicaid, for it not to be cut. Um, I do want to uh, emphasize that w what we did for the two weeks and beyond that has been more of a community effort than, than just Desert Adapt itself. Um, we did uh, spearhead the, the, the effort, um, but there was a lot of community support. Uh, there were a lot of volunteers that went there, helped out, helped distribute flyers and information and made calls. So the, the community is to thank for this for for the success of those two weeks and, um, and, and say also there were people throughout the nation yes. that were emulating you that were doing things similar throughout the nation leaders I yeah, in california they places. did it too yeah, yeah. in california they were they're doing, doing that they were sitting in yeah. in the offices they were colorado you know, they were yeah. sitting outside their offices you know camping outside the offices that was, you know, that, that uh, your leadership was fantastic, and and it was an example and a, a role models for a lot of people that are still doing that. You know, I think even here locally, and I think Duranguito's doing the same thing right now. You know, <laughs> yes. camping out and looking looking over their territory. Yep. But I think they learned from you. Yep. But the police also learned, and they're you know cracking down and making them take down their their shelters and you know, making it difficult for them, which is the same things that you yeah. faced. Yes. But you know, this city has learned from that, and but the activists have learned also that there's people power, you know, there's, pe there's power in the vote, there's power in getting the vote out, and, and you know, registering people to vote. You know, I, I, I think those are wonderful efforts, and, and I'm thankful for, uh, most of the time, a lot of it, it, a lot of the effort is done by young people in the colleges, and and those are the people who come out and vote for the yeah. first time. You know, and not only that, but also the community support, like you were yeah, saying. You know, exactly. like Miss Escobar, you didn't have to go out there. You did. You went out there, and uh, I think who else went out there? Susie Bird. I mean, all these politicians. Went out. Yeah. They didn't have to, but you know what? To give that support, mm -hmm. to say, you know what? We get it. We understand. We're here to support you. And Mr. Josue, like Mr. Mark was saying, at the end of the day, you're the leader. You're the one who really brought that point home you're the one who was out there for two weeks that we're getting mad at you I, we would call you and my wife hey you need to go home but the point is without like you were saying Ms. Escobar without that activism that that, that, that advocate mm -hmm. our voices won't be heard and I it was you in place so hopefully you can help us I, mm -hmm. I hope to be able to help you all. I, I hope to be your advocate. It, the, the experiences that I've had as county judge um, and in my personal life have, have really made me very sensitive to, to those issues. And um, I just, I admire the work you all do so very much. So I know you had another comment, Mr. Osway? Uh, one last comment. No, so that's fine. It's regarding um, uh, voting. 
Um, right now we have the rev up campaign, which is the register, educate, and vote. And this is geared or aimed towards getting more people with disabilities to go out and register and actually go out and vote and make the disability vote count. Um, would you be in support of this type of, of movement? Yes, thank you for doing that. You know, we, um, again, we don't have enough people in El Paso voting. And I think if there are members of the disability community who are not registered, then yes, you need to get them registered. And it doesn't end there because too many times people will register and they'll never, they don't go to the polls. They don't, they don't do anything beyond that. And so the, the, the role that you'll have to play, if you're gonna register people, I would challenge you to go even further, which I know you will and, and, and I have no doubt, <laughs> but to keep a database of all of them, get their phone number, get their email address, and so you have this database of the people that you've registered so that you call them or email them right before early voting. Hey, you guys, we registered you. You signed up. You said you wanted to vote. Remember those cuts? Remember what we were facing? Remember the risk to our benefits? Now's the time to make a difference. You guys should endorse. You guys should, should provide information to your constituency like hey if you know if you don't want to hear who we're recommending we're giving you the link to everybody's website we're giving you the candidates phone numbers we're giving you the candidates email accounts then make up your own mind but vote here's when early voting starts here's a link to all the locations do you need a ride we'll make sure to you know find rides for you i mean the the it it, it is like a campaign, like running a political campaign. If we want to change things, that means we've, we've got to run a good campaign and not just register people, but remind them, educate them. And really, in many ways, it's like a, being a nag, you know, like, <laughs> I'm not going to leave you alone until I know you've cast your votes. When is early voting? February 20th. And the election is March 6th. So it's oh, March 6th. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. So it, that's for the primary. So, so February 20th sounds like a long ways mm -hmm. away, but it's not. I mean, the the I'll tell you, I've, I've told my kids this every time Halloween rolls around and I'm giving candy to the trick-or-treaters, then all of a sudden I wake up and the next day it's Thanksgiving, then I wake up and the next day is Christmas, then all of a sudden it's the new year, and so it becomes like a downhill slide the, toward the end of the year, so it's gonna be here around the corner, yes, and so just keep those names, keep those emails, keep those phone numbers, so you can reconnect with them and nag them. And okay. uh, I'm going to give a comment real fast about what you were saying about the holidays. Uh, me and my wife were putting together an initiative of having a, a Thanksgiving dinner for uh, our community of people with disabilities because a lot of times the family members can't go to work. They want to stay home and take care of their, of their, yeah. of their spouse or wife. And this way I feel is appropriate that we give back to that community and also the, the caregivers like Mr. Uh, Mark Salazar because that's, you know, I do applaud you, Mr. Salazar, because, you know, that's, you know, I know she's your sister and you love her, mm -hmm. but that's who that's work. And yeah, I've been there for my, my mom, me and my wife, yeah. when she was sick, we actually had to change her. And so I, we want to give back to say, you know, we appreciate what you've done. And also those um, individuals that are here by themselves, don't have no one. So we want to give back. So hopefully people are listening. Um, we want to contribute to that. And then, well, anyways, going back to the, 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 what you were saying about the early voting. 
Early boarding is very important because that sets the pace, right? That sets the pace for the regular elections. You know, yeah, when you look at early voting, the night of the returns, you kind of get a sense of, you know, whether you've won or lost. Sometimes it's very close. But um, the great thing about early voting, you know, the, a lot of people will say, oh, you know, I for, it was election day and I forgot. Well, you don't have to wait until election day. You can get it out of the way. I frequently go vote the very first day of early voting because I think if some, you know, if I forget or if I get too busy or if something happens and I'm just, you know, I'm distracted or I have to leave town, who knows? I have already cast my vote and my vote will be heard. And so we, you know, I, I always try to push my family and my friends to vote during early voting. Also, because it's the most convenient thing. You don't have to go to your polling station. Exactly. You can go to any one of the early voting sites. And so if you do that, you get it out of the way, you've done your civic duty, you're, you've made your voice heard, and you don't have to worry that you'll forget on election day to go vote. That's true. And hopefully with that kind of uh, in interaction by us, you know, encouraging people to vote, maybe we can bring that percentage up. Maybe break it from oh, 10%, be you know, go beyond. Because I think it's the, the average or the 140,000 people are registered to vote. And and I'll tell you, the, so this election cycle is what's called a midterm because it's between presidential elections. Voting goes up during presidential elections because everybody's interested in voting for president. But during the midterms, which is the two years in between, it drops significantly. And so the, we, what our campaign is trying to do, we want to inspire people. We want to get people excited. We want to remind people that they have power, but that they have to use the power. We want to drive those numbers up um, because we want El Paso to begin to make its voice heard. So if you all will pitch in with the campaign you're running, I think we can drive those numbers up. And you would be, and I don't know if, it, if I heard wrong, but you would be the first Hispanic woman to be elected? I, if, if, should I win, I will be the first Latina elected to wow, Congress from awesome. Texas. That We've cool. never had a Latina Congresswoman from Texas, never. Mm. Other states have. And you know what's exciting to me is if we do this, that it would be El Paso doing it, yes. and that it would be the border doing mm -hmm. it. The border community, yeah, that yeah, would be awesome. It would it's, be really great. That would be cool. I see you on TV. I know her. <laughs> That's did, right. Did you, have a, did you have a question mark? I had one, but I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought you were trying to say something. Oh, and Josue, I'm oh. Before we, forget, uh, we go any further, um, could you just give out your everybody's contact information for one more time before I know Mrs. Escobar about you want to go ahead and, and uh, camp, um, volunteer for your. You guys go first. I need to look up my my yeah. campaign number. Okay. Well, you can always find me on Facebook at, just under my name, Mark Salazar, and uh, there's you know my email also is uh, m a salazar at e l p dot r r dot com. I like to say RR. Mm -hmm. RR. <laughs> That's how um, Time Warner, right? Roadrunner. Yeah, Roadrunner. Yeah, right. uh -huh. Elsewhere? Um, my information, you can always contact me, uh, um, of course, on Facebook. Um, I, I'll also give out my number. That's fine. My number is 915-449-3834. And my email address is J-O-S-U-E period A-D-A-P-T at yahoo.com. And you're also allowed to call him at three in the morning, right? You told me that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you can call. <laughs> no voicemail. Not answer. <laughs> My campaign number is seven six zero zero one nine two. And as I mentioned, my website is veronicaescobar.com. My uh, email is 
voteforveronica at gmail.com. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, and those links are on my website. Oh, you're on Twitter? Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I will say this, and this is my show, so I'll say it. I do endorse you, Mrs. Aww, so I will say that. thank so, you so much. So, I really appreciate that, I, I know the boss, so... So I know the boss, so I can say that. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. I and I I appreciate and I honor that endorsement. It means a lot to me. Thank you, ma'am. Um, I know Josue, you you uh, did or that meets when? You meet on the third or? We two? meet every third Thursday of the month at thirteen hundred Hawkins. That's a public library, from one to uh, three, four p.m. And I know uh, Mark. Uh, Grupo Dio meets every uh, uh, twice a month. Uh, we're coming up with the holidays in November and December, so you know the schedule's going to change a little bit on those months. But normally we have a first meeting. Uh, we've been having it at a at a at a uh, durable medical service provider uh, called BEK, BEK Company. Okay. So we have that first meeting on s the first Saturday, from 2:30 to 4:30, and the s the third Friday we meet at Carolina Center. It's now called uh, the Ortiz Center, uh, Ortiz. named after a fallen uh, policeman, I believe. Yes, David Ortiz. Uh -huh. yes, yes, David Ortiz. Yeah, Ms. Uh, Lily Mo was talking about that on our show mm -hmm. the other day. Um, you're, you're, I know, Ms. Um, Escobar, you're having a walk this Saturday? Yes, so walk on walk. Saturday at 11 uh, in the morning, we're meeting at 806 Montana, which is the headquarters, and we're going to be block walking every weekend. We'll probably start earlier uh, in the coming weeks. And um, we are, we love our volunteers. If anybody wants to volunteer, we'd love, if they wanna come in and, and help do anything around the office, we, uh, there's always work to be done. Uh, I'm there just about every day, unless I'm out walking. Um, I'm on the phone asking for money uh, or walking. And uh, it's, I will tell you, it's been incredible. We have about 150 volunteers already. Wow. Um, people who are really, just so kind and generous and I've been very fortunate in my political career to have worked with a lot of great people and to have been able to collaborate with a lot of great people and they are coming out to help me and and they believe in me and um, I feel very, very humbled by the support that I've received. Well, this is your platform, Mrs. Escobar. Let the, the, the listeners um, Sum up your your give like a little synopsis of your of your of your uh, my political time platform. Yes, absolutely. So he so what? Let me tell you what I'm proudest of having accomplished as county judge. I'm very proud that we expanded access to health care. We reformed local government, um, and I was a strong voice for the border. I I published four op-ed pieces in the New York Times in defense of El Paso and proud of El Paso and the border. And, and my platform for Congress is really focused on much of what we started in El Paso. I believe in healthcare for all. Um, I think we need a single payer system because um, the, you know we, we kind of are cherry picking who gets healthcare and who doesn't. We're cherry picking what kind of services people sh deserve and what services they don't deserve. We need healthcare for all in a single payer system. That's the only thing that's gonna work. Um, that's the only way that we make sure that people are covered. I believe healthcare is a right, not a privilege. And um, so that would be, uh, that's one of my top priorities. I'm very much in favor of comprehensive immigration reform. The laws we have on the books separate families. They are outdated. 
Um, and it is 2017. It is about time that we reform our immigration laws. Uh, we have instead people wanting to build more walls, higher walls. We want people who, uh, or, or we have um, a president that wants to create bans on certain countries. There's, there are smarter ways to keep America safe, but also to maximize and leverage the brain power and the love and commitment of our immigrant communities. Okay. So I'm very much in favor of comprehensive immigration reform. You know, with the with the recent shooting um, in Las Vegas, I'm going to be releasing a um, my position on gun control. But I am a believer in gun control. I grew up with guns. I'm not anti-gun. You know, it's, we have the Second Amendment for a reason. But when you have Americans that have access to arsenals, and we have created American terrorists, you know, we are so focused on terrorists that. That are that we're worried about from other countries, yet we turn a complete blind eye to how we enable uh, people in our country. Did to you say blind eye? At the, Wait, that, that's that's the bar. I'm no, sorry. I'm just joking. I'm just I joking. apologize. No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, oh my God, <laughs> that was terrible. Um, but you know, we we have to look at common sense mm -hmm. laws. That I mean, we we are one of the countries that has eroded some of those laws that actually protect our communities. You know what's funny, Ms. Escobar, that I was talking to my cousin about this, because see, when the Second Amendment was done back in, what, 1778, the, our forefathers, yeah, for the militia to have, you know, weapons to protect the property, that was back in 1778. Going forward to now, you have people having uh, ARs with, uh, with the, the buckshot the, um, that uh, makes them uh, automatic weapons. Right. But yet, this, which is funny to me is that you go buy the actual device to, to, to make your weapon um, an, uh, an assault oh, weapon, yeah. but yet that device is legal, but when you convert your weapon, that's illegal. Right. Does that make sense? You right, know? absolutely. And there was a law that was about to be considered to um, limit uh, um, prohibitions on silencers, yes. which, the, you know, as, as we saw, unfortunately, in the really horrible footage, the only reason so many lives were able to be saved is because people heard the gunfire. And I can't imagine the carnage had there been a silencer and they would not have been able to hear the bullets. Um, there, would be, there would have been a lot more bloodshed. And so um, I'm working on a position paper for that. Um, I also am a firm believer in carrying on the, the really hard work that Congressman O'Rourke did with the veterans community as well, as well as the, with the disability community. I want to keep in close contact with the communities that I serve. Um, if I should win, I will be coming back uh, constantly the way that Congressman O'Rourke does. Um, I'm not a believer in going up there and moving there and, you know, and forgetting the, yeah. and forgetting the very people who elected you. You know, this is my home. I love El Paso. Um, if, I, if I'm elected, D.C. is just the place where I would go to work, but I would want to come home. And I would continue to have the town hall meetings that Congressman O'Rourke does um, because they are important ways for the community to keep their member of Congress accountable. Exactly. You know, with, with local elected officials, you all see us a lot more often. I get complaints when I'm at Albertsons, when I'm watering <laughs> my trees in the parkway, or when I'm walking in the park, as it should be. People should be able to access their elected officials. But that's possible because we're local. When you have a congressional elected official who's frequently back and forth and spending time um, 
you know, on the House floor casting votes and they're only here for weekends, it's harder. So you have to make it possible through those town halls. So I'd be committed to that. So that's, well. that's philosophy out of sight, out of mind. Right. You're coming back, you're, you're seeing your constituents, and you, you're hearing the issues here in our local community, which is District 15, that you could take it back to Congress and right. and make those efforts. Because without, even when you're a county judge, Ms. Escobar, without you being progressive, it kind of, it helps us. We, I mean, progressive, sorry. You, you help our constituents because without the politicians being in the forefront, where do we go? Right. As you know, as advocates. And um Absolutely. I'm sorry, and you and you have to hold us accountable. And if we've done something that makes you mad, you have to tell us, Hey, that really upset me and here's my expectation and, and here's what I need you to do and, and you know, I have found with all the groups I've worked with, I may not have, you know, always made them happy, but I've always had a door open. There have been some groups that have been very, very pleased with everything I've done. But of course, you know, there are some groups that, that may not be, but that the lines of communication are so important because who knows, someday there might be a vote cast that, um, you know, didn't have time to get all the information on and somebody says, I can't believe you did that. You have to be able to have those lines of communication open. Exactly, to your constituents. We have a few minutes left. It's going, it's going by fast. Um, I want to give this time to Josue or... Um or Mark, if you have any comments, any finishing last comments. Well, I, I like what you said, uh, you know, about the uh, uh, the being in touch with the communities. You know that that is so important. Uh, whenever somebody comes into town, uh, this this is our opportunity to meet with that uh, uh, representative or senator and uh, uh, make our needs known. And what I was, oh yeah, the thought I was gonna uh, uh, say was, you know, you're, you're kind of going into the lion's den because, <laughs> you know, you're, you're in the minority, you're gonna be in the minority. Uh, you know, hopefully we wanna change that. But uh, being, you know, this, this big ma majority out there with uh, so much money and so much power, and with the current administration in, in, in office, you're going into the lion's den, and you know, I admire you for doing that and for, oh. and for taking the position that you are taking. You know, and you, you are a true uh, a Democrat, and I know one of your opponents says she's a Democrat, but, but she's been voting Republican for, for a long time. And, and you are a true Democrat, and I appreciate that. You do Thank represent you. the people. Thank we, you, Mark. And we admire you for what you're doing. I appreciate yeah, thank that. You. Thank you. Hopefully we won't be in the minority yeah, forever. Hopefully that. we begin to change that in 2018 and then hopefully yeah. in 2020. Um, but I agree with you. We have to send people to the Congress who reflect our values. Mm -hmm. And sure. El Paso's values are strongly democratic. We're not millionaires either. I mean, there, has, <laughs> there are some millionaires here, but you know, we're, most of us are not millionaires. We're struggling, you know. We're on, uh, you know, I'm a teacher. I'm a fixed income. You know, and uh, people living on still in minimum wage and yeah. haven't been able to get that minimum wage. Republicans don't, they won't bend, they won't change that minimum wage. And the cuts end up going, like you said, into their pockets mm -hmm. when they could be right. going to help, you know, uh, attendance, you know, get better benefits, get better wages. They could in, uh, increase wages for uh, these minimum wage workers, increase benefits. They could do more services. They don't want to spend money on, on community services. Instead, tax breaks for the corporations. 
that's ridiculous. You right. Know? We, right. we need to we need to serve the people and, and right. Obama promised to help the middle class. I didn't really see it, you know. I I, I started to see a little bit, but I, I I haven't seen it. We have a lot of work to do, that's for sure. A mm -hmm. lot. Our middle class has been eroding, um, you know, with the losing uh, labor unions' rights. Mm -hmm. That's that's been a, a, a critical component. Labor unions are such a power, have been so powerful in America, in pushing for the minimum wage and pushing for a forty-hour work week and pushing for benefits. And you've seen. You know, a lot of the Republican powerhouses erode the rights of labor unions, and you've seen at the same time the erosion of the middle class. Mm -hmm. And our, our minimum wage has not kept up. Our benefits have not kept up. We're going in the wrong direction. And for me, it's so disheartening how the Republican Party, and I'm just talking about my, my observation here, but the, how the Republican Party is so sometimes detached from the constituent. And that's what kind of has me concerned Especially when they came up to the issue about the Medicaid, they're, they're willing to cut, what was it, $800 billion, uh, Mr. Josue? Yeah, yes. And they just have no, no problem with that. And that's what's really concerning. 70% of the Medicaid recipients in Texas are children. Children, you know, young children. And a lot of those have special needs. And, you know, they, this is ridiculous. To give a tax break to, to a rich person and put it on the backs of children, that's what's happening. Okay. And that's what we, we're fighting. Yeah. Right. One, of, one of the things, that, just to close off my comments, is I want to uh, make sure that we continue to extend that line of communication between the disability community and yourself um, once you're elected. Yeah. Um, we know that we had good communication with Beto O'Rourke's office, and we want to continue that. I want that, too. I want that, too. So, so Ms. Escobar, um, thank you for coming on to the Accessibility Corner. The, the hour thank went by all. fast. It did. Uh, you want to, I will let everyone know, if you want to catch a podcast of this, it will be on the website, which is www.dialogueep.com. Of course, uh, Mrs. Escobar's um, information, contact information, Josue and Mark, will be on um, the website also. You also look for them on the, on um, Facebook. Facebook. You also have a Facebook page, Ms. Escobar? I do, I do. Um, so if you'll go to veronicaescobar.com, you can click on the little Facebook icon and it'll take you to it. Okay, oh, okay. And uh, just for everyone, to, for my listeners, uh, next week, or next show, which will be on October 19th, we're going to have Ms. Jennifer uh, Coulter. She's the blind uh, lawyer that works with Stephanie Tazaniala. She actually graduated with one of the top scores here in El Paso, in the state of Texas, for when she got her bar exam. And uh, so I'm not sure, uh, do you have time, Mr. Abel, are we done? What, don't go ahead. Okay, because he told me sign and I can't see him, so. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, okay, so basically, so Ms. Escobar, um, thank you for coming again. Thank and uh, we'll, we'll see you. Soon, I'm, I'm, I hope. I'm, I'm, I'm squinting my eye in Congress. <laughs> uh, will you be, will be the first Latina uh, to be you know, in, in, from the state of Texas? Thank it's kind of amazing. It is incredible. You know, think about all the years, you know. I know. That's, it's terrible, but I hope we, we I hope we make history. And it's tells kind of tells a lot about taxes if you know and then you will make history Mrs. Ford. I say it today October the 5th I'll say that <laughs> awesome. that you'll make it history so um anyways um thank you everyone for listening to the Accessibility Corner we'll see you on October 19th bye